but this morning's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. Today we continue our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and I also want to continue a saga that I began two weeks ago. On July 19th, I preached on the communion of saints, and I told a true crime story. The story of one of my kids' stuffed animals, which was brutally attacked and maimed in a quiet small town backyard. This brave lovey lost her eye in the attack, and the primary suspect, our dog Della, looked extremely guilty, but avoided any prison time. Two weeks ago, I kept the name secret to protect the innocent, but I think the story has reached a happy conclusion, and this week I have permission, so I'll go ahead and tell you. The poor kid was my seven-year-old Silas, our sweet middle child, and the survivor of the attack was one of his lammies, his little sheep. I say there's a happy conclusion because mom finally, finally got around to sewing the new eye on to the lamb. Silas was really nervous before the procedure. Is she going to be okay? I said, she'll be safe with me. Will she be able to see? I wasn't sure how to answer that one. So I said, she will be able to see as well as ever. <laughs> then I asked Sai if he wanted me to take out the other eye and put two brand new ones in to match. No, he said. Once again, he proved that he's wiser than I am. I recently heard a story about famous writer Franz Kafka. It said that Kafka was once in a park when he heard a little girl crying. He asked her what was wrong, and she said that she lost her favorite doll somewhere in the park. Kafka looked around with the girl and his parents, but none of them had any luck finding the doll. So Kafka took the parents aside and formed a plan. Over the next couple of years, the girl received letters in the mail from her doll. Dear Mommy, I'm so sorry you couldn't find me in the park, but I just had to explore the world. I've just gotten to Paris, and you wouldn't believe how beautiful it is here. Dear Mommy, I'm on my way to Egypt. Can you believe how exciting? Dear Mommy, Spain was everything I hoped it would be. The girl's doll, through these letters, traveled the world. Again, I don't know why these stories of stuffed animals and loveys capture my imagination the way they do. I think I'll just go ahead and blame the Velveteen Rabbit. But I can call up all of those feelings I had as a child. And all of those heart questions that kids have about the things that they love 
are the same heart questions that we have as adults throughout our lives. Will my loved ones be okay? Will there be a happy ending? Can what's lost ever be found? Is loss the end and does grief have the final word? Is happily ever after real? The Bible has answers to these questions, but sometimes those answers just seem to suggest more questions. That's what today's passage from Corinthians is about. Paul begins by talking about the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And Paul scandalously refuses to spiritualize it away. This is not a metaphor, he implies, as he names living witness after living witness, and finally testifies that he saw Jesus with his own two eyes. The risen Jesus. Now, let's slow down because I won't speak for anyone but myself, but I can be kind of arrogant when reading about people from 2,000 years ago. Like, well, remember, they didn't have modern medicine. They had weird superstitions. They didn't have heart monitors or death certificates. So maybe they said people were raised from the dead because they didn't know any better. No, they knew. They knew that people who were dead stay dead. In fact, they probably knew more than we do because infant and child mortality were so high, untreated disease and other tragedies often brought death right into their lives and homes. They knew. And Paul still has the audacity to write that Jesus was raised, there were real living witnesses, and that guess what? We will be raised too in the same way. Great, but as I said, this almost just suggests more questions. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? When will this happen? What does it mean? Why is it important? So Paul continues. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So here, Paul answers, what kind of body will we have? As we saw in the children's video, Paul also points to Jesus. A good way to think about it is, what kind of body did the risen Jesus have? Does the risen Jesus have? Remember the Easter stories. Jesus was appearing and disappearing, walking through walls. It seems like he wasn't bound by the normal laws of physics in some ways. Okay, so far, so good. It's really common, even among Christians, to think that we're going to be some sort of wispy ghosts for eternity. But what else did Jesus do? He ate. He broke bread. He walked. He cooked. He could be touched. He could be grabbed. He was solid. 
The point is, he was not less than he was before. He was even more. A good pastor friend of mine once told me, when he was a kid, he asked his mom, what will it be like in heaven? And in her wisdom, his mom said, we'll be like Superman, which is the perfect answer for a little boy. But I don't think it's a bad answer for us grown-ups either. We will not be less than before. But in God and his love and grace will somehow make us even more. I'll add one question to Paul's list, because he didn't bring this up. But what about cremation? Right? What happens if our earthly body is burned or maimed or broken or seemingly gone? This reminds me of a riddle I read once. Say you have a sailboat. You replace the sail. Is it still the same sailboat as before? Sure. But what if you replace the rudder, and then you replace the mast, and then you replace the deck, until you've replaced every single part? At what point do you no longer have the original sailboat? Or say you have a, a broom with just a brush and a handle. You replace the brush of the broom. Is it still the same broom? Maybe. You replace the handle of the broom. Is it still the same broom? Eh. So how many original parts do we need to have intact to still be us? I don't know, maybe I'm the only weirdo who thinks like this, but I think it's a good question. Except the boat and the broom illustrations are wrong for this. We are not an item. We are not a broom or a boat. We are beloved. We are an event, like a sunrise. And according to the gospel, the event that is me, the event that is you, will continue. Death will not have the final word, which also means that decomposition, fire, entropy, chaos will not have the final word. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I think this is one of the best phrases in the entire Bible. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Partly because when something is swallowed, you know, it's metabolized. It doesn't just go away. It becomes part of us and it starts to work for us. The Bible isn't in denial about death. God doesn't sweep death under the rug. In fact, Jesus still has his scars. The holes are still in his hands. The hole is still in his side. And Jesus' scars just make him more beautiful. They make his resurrection body more real. They take the very death that tried to undo him, and they mock that death. And his scars speak to us with our scars. 
tell us that grief will change us, but love will make us strong. Kafka wrote the little girl letters from her doll for some time, but with the final letter, the girl also received a package. Like any child would, she opened the package first. It contained a doll. Wait, she thought, this isn't my doll. She looks different. Then she opened the letter. Dear Mommy, it began, I know you're thinking I look different. Of course I do. You can't think all of that traveling wouldn't change me. I asked Silas if he wanted two brand new eyes in his Lammy to match. No, just the missing one, he told me, even though the other one was scratched up and older. He knew the eyes wouldn't match. He knew there would still be signs of the Lammy struggle and of the years. I don't know how he knew, but somehow he knew the past scars would make the land stronger and more beautiful. Why does resurrection matter? Because where we are going matters. What is going to happen tomorrow has an impact on how we live today. If we believe everything is without purpose, if we believe the sun will just burn out and everything will just end, that will have an impact on how we live today. As one preacher said, if the Titanic is going down, what does it matter if we go down hugging or mugging? <laughs> but if Jesus does hold the keys to hell and death, if death will be swallowed up in victory, if the good news is true, it will change how we live. And something else will happen. Others will see how we live and long for it, and ask for it. So this is what happened next. While I was working on Lammy's new eye, our oldest son, Josiah, who's 10, was watching me. He came up to me with Bear, who is also 10, and is well-loved, and who has long since lost both of his eyes. Josiah said, can you give Bear new eyes too? I could, so I did. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord.